Welcome to the Only One Mike Podcast called Gerard, Brooke, Andre, Just Me. And we joined today by CEO and President of Can I Live, Miss R. W. Jones. How you doing, Miss Jones? Hey, Come on in. Ow. Ow. Hey. I'm in the house. Ow. Good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, How y'all doing we today? We do it all right. How about great. yourself? I'm great. I am doing wonderful. That's good to hear. So, wonderful. Tell us where you're from. Initially from Brooklyn, New York. Oh. So born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I moved to uh, Plantation, uh, North Carolina for a little bit. Now I'm, I'm housed in D.C. Part of Brownsville, uh, Marcus Garvey, Livonia. Um, yeah. Crown Heights. This is where we are. Right. Yeah. Stand Here up. we go. Nicely. This guy. Yeah, says, I'm from Brooklyn too. Yeah, of course. We always going to say that. Yeah, yeah. Say it. We That's like, where you from. We like you. We moved to, you know what I mean. Actually, we're not that far. We we in Delaware, so you in DC, so you know. My husband be looking at me like every time I say I'm from Brooklyn, he just looks at me like, are you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you moved to the suburbs. Are you really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Washington. What is it? Northeast. I have a couple friends out there. I used to hang out in DC all the time. DC is is all right. Uh, yeah. Everybody's like, yeah. Yeah, Andre, like yeah. uh, I, don't know. I like DC. I like DC. Well, I, I mean, I don't know how it is now. I haven't hung out there in a minute, but DC was all right in the nineties, early two thousand. It was kind of bad, but I was going to Club Love and Dream or whatever it was. I was having a good time out there. I like DC. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Club love, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I went I I went out there for a conference and I actually I liked it. I like New I mean, York, it's a man. beautiful place, but it's just it's one of the weirdest places I've ever lived. I <laughs> promise you, if someone ever said men in black like was a real thing, I'm like, and I know they were housed in DC. Like that's where headquarters <laughs> It's just a real weird place. Yeah, that the whole, architecture is beautiful. That the is. architecture, yeah. the way that the city was built. City was built by a black man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So we're gonna we're gonna jump right into it. So uh Raquel, you know, I find your story very interesting. Um, all the things that led up to you starting Can I Live and trying to help a lot of people, you know, get off the you know, the yoke of the welfare system, you know. Yeah. Um, which is a good thing. Because we know, especially us being from New York, being caught up in that whole system of, you know, public housing and welfare benefits and things, WIC and all that. It's just like some people get stuck in that mentality and stay in that mentality and don't come out of that mentality and pass it on to the next generation. Tell us, you know, what's your story? What got you to the point where you wanted to reach back and help people, with, you know, by way of your personal experiences? I don't want to tell your story. I want you to let our yeah. audience know. Well, I mean, at first I used to work in a juvenile, New York City uh, corrections, and I was over the juveniles, and it was like 160 of them, but 158 of them were African-Americans, single families, none of them knew their dads, there was high school dropouts, they were committing crimes, and I knew that that was not an accident. Something told me that it was very strategic. It was how could they all be in the same place with the same things? 
And so we were one facility, all the facilities in New York State look the same. From Bronx, New York, Queen, all of them, all the boroughs look the same, all the counties in the United States, all the correctional. And I was like, what is this thing? And how do we just willingly give ourselves and our freedom away? We came from bondage. How do we, how do we wind up back in it willingly because of crime? And so as I started to go to school, I was just trying, you know, asking all these questions. I was like, what is this thing? But then I, I got pregnant. And I was like, well, well, that was not the plan. The plan wasn't to get pregnant. And so I go to the welfare system, first place Black women refer to either the abortion clinic or welfare. And then, you know, you learn a game. You learn the more kids you have, the more money they're going to give you. You learn how to manipulate. And there was just something like, wow, this is a whole lifestyle. And I was like, mm, I don't know if I want this. But I got pregnant again. And I mean, literally, I got pregnant again. And I got pregnant again. Every time I went for a checkup, I was pregnant, literally. Wow. I was blaming a white man. I was blaming the devil. And I went and saw the pastor one day. I had to make an appointment with the pastor because I was like, so the, the devil and the white man, are they like one and the same? They feel busy in my life. And he was like, the devil ain't busy. You busy. That's right. That's right. right yeah. <laughs> he was like, you real busy. And I was like, oh, my God. And it was like the epiphany that oh, I just created the one thing that I was trying to solve. And that just blew my mind. Like, how could you be trying to solve a problem, then become it? And so it was more so mental for me. I had to find out what this was and how did I become a part of this three dads all in a child support system? And it was like, what is this culture? What is this thing? And so it was just a journey of exploration. And then I started to literally find out that there was systemic, institutional, strategic movements that started, and no one knows when or where. There are some pivotal points in history that will tell you exactly when these things started to migrate towards the breakdown of the Black family and all that. But I had to take responsibility. I was like, you know what? I still did something to get here. So now I'm going to do something to get out. But I didn't realize that in that game of poverty, it's something about rejection, abandonment. It's something about having no value. The fact that I'm having kids every time you turn around all these different men, something was wrong with me. Something was missing in me. And I was looking for that validation elsewhere. But, you know, you go going to work every day, you're getting paid, and you broke. By the time you get your check, you broke. I never could even, you know, dreams of taking my sons to Disney World. That was like, that's never going to happen for you. So I was like, I don't want to be one of these little welfare moms that's broke and cursing their kids out in the street, you know, beating their kids down because they're so angry. And I just started to look at my life and I looked at my family and I was like, oh, my God, all my family's living in the projects. They all are on some kind of they all half of them is arrested in jail records. They've used the system, alcoholics, domestic violence, pimps. I had everybody. But nobody made it out. Nobody was like wealthy or, you know, I didn't have the frame of reference. And I was like, and I felt this thing like, I'm going to get stuck here. I'm going to be stuck. And I literally heard this voice. I was, what I didn't know is I had postpartum. And what I didn't know, I wasn't checking my thoughts. You know, I was letting these thoughts. Murder was really like a, a thing for me. I was so angry. I could have killed somebody. And I heard this voice that said, drown them. And I was about to drown my four sons in the tub. I ran the water, got the towels. I called for their name. I called for my oldest, Messiah. 
Because I was like, I'm going to drown him first. He's going to give me the least amount of trouble. He the biggest, right? He's going to give me the most trouble. Then he was nowhere to be found. So I was like, let me get Nazareth. Okay, where Jordan? Where Gen- let me go to the crib and get Genesis. Because he, he a baby. He in a crib. He not going to do nothing. At least let me start the process so I can hurry up and finish it. Because I, I made a decision that I was going to leave. I was not going to do this because mm. I couldn't get out. And the baby was not in the crib. Nobody was, no, the kids was nowhere to be found. And then all of a sudden, one of them comes in front of me and he's eating his cookie and he's laughing. And it's like he's moving on around. He's just laughing. But I looked at him and I was like, I don't know why you're laughing. I said, because we're leaving. And he just starts laughing more. And before I could walk towards him, I was like paralyzed in this joy and laughter. It was something so pure and innocent about his laughter. And I could hear in his laughter, hold on, like, wait, hold on. It gets better. And whatever that was, I I like, I know it was an intervention because the Lord hid them kids from my eyes. And in that moment, I fell to my knees and I prayed one prayer. I said, Lord, if you get me out of this hellhole in my right mind, I'll come back and help others like me. Because I knew moms, I knew we wanted out. We just couldn't get out. We didn't know how to get out. And just like that, I got up off the floor and I started to become super organized. But I knew that the person who I was that could have made that decision and who I needed to be to get up and wait and hold on was they were not the same person. And so I surrendered in that moment, fell and prayed one prayer. And God kept his promise. And so 20 years, I remember the, the social service. They told me, they was like, we're not going to pay for you to become no attorney. You're going to have to come out of school and become a CNA. And I was like, I don't want to do CNA. I'm not called to do CNA. And I, that's when I told Tanif, like, okay, bye-bye. I'm going to leave the welfare system alone right here. And I'm going to chart a new course. But I knew that the system, I remember looking at the social service system and I said to it, I said, I don't care if it takes me 20 years. I'm, I'm going to change you because you are a crooked, deceiving, oppressing creature that says one thing on its website and brochures, but behind closed doors, it does a whole entire new thing. It, you literally are always one day, what did they say, a day, day late, dollar short? Right. Yeah. You literally will over like they would say, you don't qualify. You're actually a dollar sixteen cent over. I mean, people were not qualifying for like life changing programs for a dollar. Right. So I was like, what is this thing? So that was the journey. That's the journey that fuels the whole can I live, the whole welfare movement, you know. And it wasn't until I said, you know what, Lord, I'm I'm not gonna lie. Because the system will make you lie. You got to hide, you know, hide your coins. You can't be telling them this. You can't be telling them that. I was like, if this is meant for me to have, I'm going to tell the truth. And when I started to tell the truth was when I started to learn that you can actually own your business, own business and be on welfare. You can actually, you know, get monies from school and they don't count it. And so I just started to tell the truth. And then all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, you could do that. I'm like, well, why don't y'all tell, y'all need to have the posters out in the lobby telling people that they could do this, but they don't promote that. So why do you think that is? I mean, because I know everything that you just explained. This is a big business. So I know that keeping people on welfare actually kind of benefits the state uh, government as a whole. So, you know. Can you walk us through how that looks in terms of like what they get out of keeping you there? 
Absolutely. So one of the things uh, I look, I, I like this analogy. I want you to think about public housing. You know, I have people in pink houses and stuff like that. I want you to think of a mom, one unit, one door. Not only it's like jail. It's, it, I always say the moms is in public housing, the dads is in the dang on prison system. But if I keep her suppressed, if I keep her from moving forward, what's the chances of that idle mind producing for my system? I'm going to produce through mental health. I'm going to have the Medicaid system rampant. You're going to have poor health. It, it, it equates to, you know, a deterioration of your mind, a deterioration of your body, poor eating. I'm going to make sure you these communities are in the hood where you got Chinese food in pawn shops, liquor stores on the plethora, you know, plenty of that. And what's the chances of you getting into some kind of trouble, fraud, food stamp fraud, check fraud, then your kids, um, there's no programming. So I'm gonna make sure, you know, they don't want to just starve to death. They got to eat and you don't have the money. So how are they going to survive? What's the chances of them, you know, fueling my system? Absolutely. And they're going to probably do something that's not above board. So they're going to feed my criminal justice system. And I'm going to make sure my police, because then what happens with alcohol, come violence, come with poverty. All of the crimes you see our brothers and sisters in jail, they're crimes of poverty, robbery, gang, drugs. They only trying to, they just trying to survive in an economic underclass. And so that's the way the system is, because look at who we fuel. We, we, you go in the court, somebody's in juvenile, uh, what they call criminally involved somewhere, tickets. Um, domestic violence, you keeping the police at the doors all the time. It's like PTSD um, yeah. pretty much. You know, like I tell people all the time, everybody, and I, I mean, I was in the military and um, we talk about um, when the first time they started talking to me about PTSD and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, you know, that's it's kind of ironic with PTSD because we all, we all that grew up in Brooklyn, we grow up with PTSD. Like it's certain things in the PTSD guidelines where it's like you, um, do you feel comfortable with your door unlocked in your home or do you sleep with a firearm and all the other stuff like that? And I'm like, yeah. we came out of the neighborhood with these minds. We came out of the, the, the neighborhood with these mindsets, you know, so. I, I and then, don't forget like that. that they also put the crack in our communities. Like, let's make that plain too. Like right. deliberately, we know that, right? So here they go, uh, put the crack in the community, create the perfect storm. And we're just like lab rats. So we fuel the we fuel the system. You know what's funny about that? I was talking to my son and, um, you know, now we live in Delaware. We moved out of New York a, a while ago. And uh, I was telling him, like, at one time or another, like, crack houses had lines on them. And he couldn't understand that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we understand it, but he could not understand yeah. that. They're, they're, like, I remember, like, crack houses was like a club almost. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So um, I say that all to say that. Wow. Um, I say that all to say that, you know, now when you tell that to other people, they kind of seem like like that's it's not fathomable. But we all know that it was a reality. So, like, you said, oh, yeah, that's a reality. Yeah. So I, I normally just show moms what I do is I go in there and I check their thoughts. And I'm like, well, if you have any kind of thoughts, because I was there, low self-esteem, low self-worth, rejection, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. I mean, you could just keep going on and on. And, and I know half of them want to kill the kids and, and just didn't. Half of them want to kill the baby's father and and can't, you know, and and so that's real things. That's stuff that most people don't even disclose out of their mouths because your kids will be taken away. And so they're living in these silent prisons um, and they suffer. They suffer in silence. So when I share the story of how I was going to do it, they're like, whoa, okay, 
is safe. And then I get all of the late night. I was gonna, I was gonna kill my. I want to kill. And I was like, well, please don't tell me you're gonna kill. You want to? Because then you really need to talk to somebody else. And so just always having therapists on call on deck because our women will not willingly openly share the the naked truths of those dark thoughts that are happening evading come on now if somebody you can't be having happy thoughts you're not having prosperous thoughts you're not having thoughts of moving up and moving out or else you would be your your body would be moving towards that way and so it's something that's so unhealthy it's it's the only thing i can say is like you want to move but you just can't it's like trying to run but having these anchors on your on your feet your story is it's amazing and the fact that you were able to even admit that that's what you were going through a lot of people don't even you know that probably was part of your healing for you to be able to say like this is what i'm going through right now this is the way that i feel a lot of people don't know how to process certain things like that but my question to you is and correct me if i'm wrong so basically your mission is to get a million moms off of welfare right so how many women have you how many moms have you helped so far so me personally single handedly i've moved almost 600 moms off the welfare system uh-huh. And so we tried, it was based on me doing it. People were like, you know, Raquel, you really need to formalize this thing. You really need to kind of like, like create a whole thing about it. And so that's how the One Million Moms was created. I was like, because I was just doing it by myself. I was like, I just want to move moms off self-sufficiency. They was like, that's too boring. That's too long. Just move them off welfare. And I was like, you know what? That sounds kind of kitschy. And that's when the One Million Moms of Welfare was birthed. And that's when I was like, Okay, so how would you duplicate this, scale it? And that's when the whole strategy came in. And I tell people all the time, if it's 3,000 housing authorities. If they just committed to 30 moms every single year for 10 years, we have a million moms. And it's not reinventing new programs. It's not creating new laws. It's just making some minor adjustments. Me getting in front of the moms and saying, hey, this is how I did it. I pretty much maxed out on my student loans. So I used school. School was my underground railroad because I could get, what, 20000 a year in funding tax-free and welfare never could touch it because it wasn't income. And so once I found out that I could get this money and keep my benefits, I was like, I'm never coming out of school. And I literally was a professional student for like 12 years. Mm. I read and wrote and I, and I studied. I went all the way up to my PhD. Until they kicked me out, was like, you're going to have to go to the private market because you reached your aggregate amount. And if and I'm going to tell you, people got all these little PPP loans. It's about solving the economic thirst. Because I was able to solve the economic thirst and I had my rent paid, my bills were now paid. I had housing. I had the, I had the rent and stuff taken care of through the benefits, my food and stuff. And all I needed was a little bit of extra money to keep the stuff. And whatever was left, I invested in my business. Then I was able to sit in the boardrooms. Mm. And I went on these commissions and I started to see how they was moving. Because mm. if you go into any boards and commissions, you look in your local cities and states and look on your boards and commissions. All you want to see is retired white folks or government. Right. And so they're making the rules of engagement. And that's when I was like, "Ooh, now I'm seeing the game on another level. And then all I was doing is crafting a solution that would counteract. And I had a white woman come and tell me. She said, Raquel, if you could find where all the systems touch, she said, you will make a difference. And I said, well, why can't you just tell me? She said, because I can't. She ran a whole department of social services in North Carolina. She was like, the systems touch and they touch on purpose. So that's where I started to really do my studying and saying, okay, I see this system. I see how they connected. 
they are they're, they're literally gates and doors from one system into the next for us um and that was heartbreaking that was heartbreaking to know that my government was so complicit in my demise is there anybody that you ever turned down like if somebody comes to you and i mean like if they they don't look like they're like serious about being on top of what they have to do in order to be successful in your program actually we don't attract them so there's three lifestyles i have a trailblazer which is my situational poverty those are moms like me they houdini they getting out no matter what i got my transformers they need a little help they um generational one generation in, one out. They just need the right support team. That's really who I get. My trailblazers and my transformers. And my totally resistance don't even come near me because they already know they're going to be held accountable. So they don't even engage. And so I don't spend time on totally resistance. So we build our program with certain type of projects, initiation, boot camps. You get through this, you do this, this way and you show up every day on time, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, do you want it? The reason why I ask is because you said in order for you to be successful, your first thing is that you kind of recognize that you had a problem within yourself that you had to straighten out first. So I was wondering, like, you know, like when you have people that come in or there's some people like on the fence or, you know what I mean? Or are they coming in the, in the gate just like gung-ho about trying to get things right? Yeah, they gung-ho. Most of them, they gung-ho. Like, I've never had a mom that's like, but... now, don't get me wrong. Some of them are so depressed. Right. And they'll come in, but I got, I got, you know, gingivitis, I got bronchitis, <laughs> I got all the itis. And I'm like, right, right, you, got, right. you got two more itises to tell me before you can't do no more itis. Because it's now, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be set free? Right. You, now, if I talk to you the next day and now you got narcolepsy and all the epilepsies, then... <laughs> Get off my phone. Right. It's funny, but it's funny to just say that because I, I don't. I'm almost scared to even say this because we got family members that is going to listen to this, and we got so many that's on welfare that you oh, know I mean, it yeah. can apply to a lot of people. But the reason why uh, I'm about to say what I'm about to say is like in regards to you know the sicknesses and the illnesses that they come up with, or whatever the case may be. I know people that have been claiming these sicknesses and illnesses for long periods of time, and uh, you know Amazing. have been lifetime lifetime welfare you know, recipients, you know, so. Let me it, tell you something. <laughs> it's, it's that, that uh, listen, and then I go a minute, some of them will admit it, and they should be ashamed, right. but that's what the system did to us. It brought us down so low. I got women who will tell you, I got to go for my disability check. So they pop in Zoloft, they pop it all kind of written. They don't right. take showers for three days and they go in there smelling like crazy, barking like dogs. And I'm yeah. like, that's you. Well, the new hustle and too so, is the kids. They didn't even put the, the kids on the, the kids. Job, like, too. you know, oh, yeah. school's yeah. telling you, well, you know, this kid has ADHD and you're like, okay. ADHD, you could get a check. Yeah, you get a check. And they're just, all right, as long as they pop these pills and you sign this paper, you know, mm. you're good to go. I couldn't do it. And I it had a son that really up. had ADHD. It yeah. messes them up for life. It messes them up. Yeah, I couldn't do it. But I mean, come on now. If you tell somebody to sit on your gift, you tell them people sit down. Don't produce. Right. Don't be human. Because as human, everybody we all that it's just in us it's a human thing to have an idea and try to work on it but when you keep pushing people down pushing people down saying no you can't get here people gonna take most people take the path of the least resistance that's just what that is that's that's nothing that's not black or white that's just human i just think that we've just been so oppressed that everybody got to get their come up. What's your come up? If the disability check is your come up, then you're going to do whatever you got to do to get it. If your children ADHD check 
is to come up. Gonna take it. You right? are you in a low place, and hopefully, you know, through the movement, each one reach one, teach one. I only need a million, and it's forty million in poverty. I only need one million, because right. one million will drop the bottom out of the system. One million restored, you know, because it's not just moms. Because you got you can't move moms off welfare without dealing with the fathers. Right. In fact, child support was a predictor. <clears throat> One thing that Congress and them do, they love these research reports. They'll run a whole report. Go research and see how people, did anybody tap into this thing yet? Child support was an indicator. They could, t- they could see how long she's going to stay on welfare by how much child support she received. So if I keep the men far away, if I keep them no, 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 not able to engage, and I keep them just producing more babies, she's going to produce for me. Um, what's the weirdest thing that you were ever told at social services or when you went to receive welfare? Because I know I lost my job probably like 2012. I lost my job. And at the time I had already had my house for six years, but now I needed assistance in paying my mortgage. It was crazy because my hot water heater and my furnace went because they went in the basement and it was a flood. So it was like crazy stuff happening to me. Like really, I was really like at a low point. I went to to get help and they said to me, you don't have any dependents? And I was like, no, I don't have any dependents. They were like, well, maybe if you had some kids, you know, you could get some services. Like so I was, have children. Yeah, so I was wondering, like, you know, I've been working since I was, what, 15 years old? My first job was Carvel. Like, I always had a paycheck. So I've been paying into taxes for the longest time. So you mean to tell me, as a single person, you didn't you didn't do right unless you go get knocked up and have several babies, and then maybe we might help you. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. coming from the opposite, opposite side of the spectrum, but I'm just wondering, did they say anything crazy to you? Um, outside of them telling me, you know, for me to come out of school because they're not going to pay for me to get my, my law degree that I need to go and CNA, the women themselves. I just think that, I mean, I hear low stories. I think the one I just said about the barking like a dog for the disability, I had some girl, she, she straight up, she, she just sue people. She'll go to the shelters and fall down and then have a, <laughs> and get, and get surgery, and get surgery. Wow. She got a whole racket, her, her attorney. She done had surgery on both knees twice and done have about four lawsuits. Mm. And I'm like, and, and then I never saw you sue the shelter. And then the shelter must have already got a hit to it because they got a clause that says, if you sue us, we get half of your check. So she had to get half of the check to the shelter. But that stopped that right there. So we're going to walk straight and everything. Like, <laughs> but I'm not going under the knife. Like, it ain't that serious. It's not that serious. I got a, a couple who was going to divorce on paper. Like they were going to separate just so they could keep the housing. And I was like, you, you, I was like, do you love your husband? She was like, I do. She was like, we, we are in love. I said, your rent is six hundred dollars. You telling me between both of y'all, y'all can't get that? You gonna, you gonna put on paper? You gonna, and he gonna go to one unit and you gonna go to another for six hundred dollars? I was like, you might want to watch out. Don't think- do that. I think that all plays into how you was raised too. Like, um, like for me personally, our mother didn't, you know, and I'm not looking down on nobody that went on welfare or anything like that. Cause if you got to do it, you got to do it. But you know, my mom was born in the South, but she moved to Brooklyn when we, you know, when she was, um, what in her teens or whatever the case may be. So, um, 
you know, just that Southern mentality back then was like, yo, we ain't getting on no welfare. We're not taking it. You know what I mean? And I think, I don't know, I guess if you grow up in that mindset, and I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to lock, I don't want to say forget. the wrong thing. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I'm just saying. Hey, that. Right, because we got family. Yeah. But don't forget, everybody, see, I think the narrative, they made the narrative look bad for us. Like, if you get welfare, shame on you. Right. Like, it's a, it became a bad thing for us, but they had the welfare first. They oh, yeah. had public housing first. And to them, it's the good old American way. It's my taxes. It's my privilege. You, you know, like, it's just mindset. So we say everybody's on welfare. Because guess what, veterans? That's government tax money. Right. That that disability check. When you go to school, when you go and get your, if you a mortgage a homeowner and you get that mortgage deduction, when the bailout happened, the banks got it. It's just that on their side, it's it's a prosperity move. On our side, it's a degrading, deplorable, shameful move. Mm-hmm. And so what we're saying is we don't want welfare. We want wealth fair. We want a fair distribution of America's wealth. The rules are punitive on this side of the track, but over here, it aids in prosperity. So right. everybody, we're trying to take the shame out of it. Like, because if you think about it, while our game is low, they play a dirty game, but they just play it on a higher level. Because mm-hmm. anybody that can ensnare somebody to that degree, like mice in a maze, you sick in your head. You're not prosperous. You a liar and a deceiver, and you like playing tricks. So you're not even like, you, you're sick. Right. And so these sick games come into a people and they only know but to, you know, play sick games. Like, I don't know if you guys know, but you could buy a house with your Section 8 voucher. Most people don't even know that instead of you being the renter, they will pay, HUD will pay your mortgage for 15 years. Yep. Yeah. I never knew about Section 3. A lot of mm. you guys know about Section 3. Yeah, please explain that. Yeah, why don't we know about that? So back in the day when everybody heard about the the um Watts riot, right? Yeah. Lyndon B. Johnson was trying to study why the black people rioting. So he put a commission together. They was like they rioting because they don't have they tired of the way there's no economic opportunities. And so they put these 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 ideas together, recommendations, and Lyndon B. Johnson was like, We're not doing that. Racism back then. But then Dr. King was assassinated and they were like we got to do that. So they made the Department of Housing and Urban Development in a part of an enforcement, uh, t- like a task enforcement to ensure that anytime HUD spends money in certain places, y'all got to make sure that employment, training, and contracting opportunities go to low-income people. And so we're talking, you know, $18.9 billion every year that got our name on it our name on it it ha- it's supposed to go to us but hud doesn't enforce it housing authorities overlook it contractors say oh we don't hire nobody we don't need nobody then they say there's nobody to hire because nobody can do this work and believe it or not in 2022 we just left san antonio texas and some man had the audacity he worked for an accounting company and i said you know your contract you're supposed to make sure that employment training and contracting even your piece of contract is triggered he was like but um you know you got you got to be like smart to do this kind of work i could not even believe he said that so the narrative about low-income people public housing is that they just dumbed out ignorant as all get out and can rub one and one to equal two and they believe the narrative obviously so we're here to say listen we i got like three phds people that work for me that work and we 
we do business with small businesses. So Can I Live is a business supported by other small businesses, other women and men who have businesses Mm. and they're low income businesses. So we say we put our money where our heart is. We're not just going to talk it, but I'm not about to get all of this money and then go give it to somebody else. No, I'm going to give it to the families because I'm going to show you we're excellent, we're intelligent, and we are the solution. And it's, it's real simple. So are you operating out of strictly out of D.C. or are you in different areas or how do, how do you do, how do you handle your, your thing as of right now? Because I see, you know, you got the bus and everything and you go yeah, to different states. Yeah. Okay. yeah, so we're a national public housing tenants association. Um, we probably garner maybe more than three point five million in funding. So we go after contracts, grants. Okay. Um, and we do the programming. Now, our programming, most of our grants right now are in the DC area, but we just recently want you know launched the tour, and we have a couple of contracts in like New Haven, some in Alabama, you know, um, where's this other one, Maryland. So slowly but surely, you know. But when we roll up looking for the money, the housing authorities is, is they're gonna be like, what? Right. Yeah, because and if and if you don't, like we we will file a class action suit. Like we are at that place. Well, quick in question. States. I just want to know um, since you're you branched out and you and, and you're dealing with different states, are you running into any complications as far as like the state law? Because I know that the laws are different in every state. Or do you find that this is pretty much clean, same thing in every state across the board? Yeah, just because I was thinking the same thing. Is that what 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 is the opposition that you face? <laughs> Yeah, we get it. <laughs> Our phone is smart. You're intelligent. Right. I was wondering myself is that what type of opposition that you face? Because this type of program upsets the system. And you know, that's like a right. no no in regards to the right. system. So they try to throw everything at you. What's the um, opposition that you've actually faced? If, if and, is it hard, and is it hard to receive funding because of what you do? It's always been hard to receive funding, always. But we've been doing this for 20 years, and it has only been through the grace of God that a ram in the bush. So we've only been supported by agency leaders who believe in what we do. But believe it or not, most of these organizations run by racist folks, white folks, old men, and they just unsubscribe. They just like, we don't, we don't want to have nothing to do, you know. And so right now, <clears throat> we're um, on our way to New Orleans. There's a conference out there. We just started to go where they are. They paying $700 each to go to these conferences. And it's like 500 people at these conferences, all like executive directors, housing authority staff. So we come up, we roll up, we say who we are. We get your name, your email. And if you unsubscribe, we're going to do a whole live and IG online. It's like, did you did you unsubscribe? And then we're going to FOIA all your data. And mm. then we're going to use it against you. So I'm telling you we coming. So mm. this ain't a secret. We're not even, at this point, you're going to give it up because it's, it's ours. It's ours. And we shouldn't even have to fight for it. But, you know, so the opposition is they ignore you. That's one of the first rules is ignoring If they give you, if they respond to you and give you any kind of airplay, they are validating your presence. And so you don't have to validate it. I'm going to come into your communities and I'm going to raise up an army of moms and then I'm going to FOIA the data. I'm going to publish the data and then I'm going to shame you. And then don't unsubscribe too. Don't don't be the one to unsubscribe from the list because then you might get the class action. 
So does do people also donate to you guys, or, and and how can somebody like support you? Amen. So most people don't donate because I don't think most people know that we're here. So we just got to the point where we can afford a PR person. Plus, we realized without marketing, nobody's going to ever know that you're here. Right. And so she's been bomb in just putting our stuff out, getting our stuff, you know, just out there. She put some sweat equity in it. So she was like, this is just too important. We really have to do something. And so if you just go to canilive.org, you're going to see a support us. And we, we're on global giving. We are on Amazon. Every time you shop at Amazon, if you go to our through our smile account, we get a percentage. Now, I got a little beef with Amazon because I promise you, I've been on Smile, Amazon Smile for three years. I didn't need, I haven't even gotten $10 total. So I'm like, well, what kind of purchases do you need to purchase? Because I know I don't rang up a nice list for myself. Right. right. So is this a scam? Because they said they done got $10 million in, in gifts. And I got $10 in, in wow. three years. Wow. <laughs> wow. They yeah. probably just from, so I'm like, uh, what? what? Like, and I wrote them like, okay, well, what purchases? What kind of scam is this? Probably you know, it probably wants you to get some high ticket stuff. High, you know, but I asked them. Still doesn't they didn't respond. Still doesn't matter. That's ridiculous. Ten dollars, like really, ten dollars, and well, I know we shopping on there. Well, I used to do FBA for Amazon, and one thing I will tell you is, um, the company that I was working for at the time, they wanted to start their own store, you know, through Amazon, like a lot of companies do, to sell their product on there. So I was setting up the FBA account, and. I know that when I went to try and get help from them, it's very hard to get in touch with a real person. Everything is really done uh, by the computer. Yeah. And sure. it's this little yeah. chat, you know, you have to talk to this little bot and it's very, you know, the questions that you ask, they already have the answer laid out or they say, read this article for more help. So it's hard to get a live person, but good luck on finding wow. out. Uh, how yeah. You so, I mean, you could do the shop through Amazon, but it, it'll probably just be better to get a paid donation. So we, we need all the, the support we can get because ain't nobody coming to support us. We will have to support ourselves through this. Yeah, I was, think, I was thinking, you know, in regards to the donations, because I like a person like myself, I mean, I we grew up in the hood, you know, and I this is something that I definitely would donate to. You know what I mean? So I was just wondering. Man, like, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, I, 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 this girl, I, this gas? Oh, you see the oh, yeah. talk about it. Yes. Oh gosh! Take a picture. We was the gas was eight dollars, eight dollars in California. I couldn't even believe it. It cost like five hundred something dollars. I just stopped counting after after two fifty filled up half a tank. I was like, Lord, I just put the card on there. Like, Father, you will supply all our needs. You will supply all our needs, especially especially with that bus. With the bus, hey. yeah. And speaking of the bus, how often are you on the road? I know this work keeps you moving all the time. So I mean, we're permanently here now. So I'm in the bus right now. Yeah. So like anybody that's listening, if you if you hear any background, she's nice enough to talk to us while she's actually on the motor. So you know, yeah. kudos for you for that. We really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm on the bus. Yes. But you're not driving the bus because that would be super. No, dangerous. no, no. We're parked right. in the RV site. <laughs> Yeah, no, we, you know, they got these RV parks out here and a lot of, you know, not us. We're not out here. We not, I I probably ran into one person, but it's so peaceful. I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going back. I don't know what my life will be after this tour, but it will not be DC. And 
This is like a whole different level of living. And where are you at right now? We're in Armorillo, Texas. 13 right. hours from New Orleans. We're going to New Orleans and then Baton Rouge. And so then to Texas, then back to California. So we left Stockton. We left Oakland. Mm. And so we, we're out here on this West Coast for real. Um, and every night you got to stay in a, um, they say count the cost. I was like, well, Lord, I, I didn't know about these costs. Like you got to stay at a place to plug in if you want electricity, if you want to like do your water. This is expensive. I, I just thought I was renting an RV. I'm thinking I'm gonna be cooking while we driving and stuff like that. That was like, no, ma'am, yeah. sit down. <laughs> yeah, I, I really love and respect what you guys are doing, man. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, this, it, you know, hey, you know, it's, it's the first thing I've heard in a long time where we're like, well, you know, I'm interested in donating to it, you know, because everything seems like a scam, and uh. You know, because I was I, I'm, I'm one of the people that, you know, see that money coming out of my check every month, you know, going towards these different people where it's supposed to go towards the right people, whatever the case may be. Right. I, I almost wanted to say and I know some people that been on welfare forever. And I was one of the people almost to say, yo, listen, I don't want I want them to stop it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't want them yeah. to stop it, you know, because I know people need it. We need it. it. We need, we need it. it. Right. Yeah. But um, you need it. I even got to a point where having this conversation one time, I was like, man, they need to give people a time limit on it. <laughs> yeah. Believe <laughs> you know it or not, we supported that. And a lot of white organizations came after us in the name of black folks. And I was like, they don't like work requirements. They don't think term limits should be in public housing. And I mean, they came for us and it was white people for saying that they were like doing it on behalf of tenants and they don't support work requirements. I said, well, I don't know nobody that don't want to really like work. What who, Shelter folks? Like, well, who are we talking about? Even they feel with the shelter. But let me just say something about y'all while wow, this is really refreshing. One thing you might not know, Carl and Andre and just... I don't talk to a lot of black folks. Most of the people that be trying to support support us, white folks, Republican, conservative, or wow. if they black, if they black, they evangelical Republican pastors, the church. Wow. So they talk to regular, like everyday people that I know right. in the street that got their heart to the with the people. It is so refreshing and particularly to hear that you would want to support this. Right. That is like everything to me because that's and not who normally supports us. Well, not even, not even. Well, you went on mute, just what you say? <laughs> well, not said, even. Andre, you rich. That's what she said. That's what she said. Uh, I wish, I wish, man. Rich but not even, man. not even in the sense of just like financially, like, you know what I mean? Like when y'all guys, when y'all guys are applying pressure, on these lawmakers and different things like that, it should be, you know, like people like us that should be coming out and trying to support this whole program. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, we got a whole policy agenda. Uh-huh. We got, like, we have to change policy. Like, we want to educate on a car to pay fathers for failure to pay child support. We want to have, you know, uniform calculations. You got mom managing eight different programs, all calculating eight different types of funding formulas. It's like, she going crazy just trying to make sure this person don't know about this program and she got a research over here, research over there. They to count in the rent. These ain't counting the rent. It's like, seriously. 
they're then, poor uh, people. Another another thing I think that's important that we say that you know they always paint black people as like the face of the welfare program. And that's not know? the but case. It, it's not the case. It's not actually, case. as I remember correctly, white women are like the the leading yes people that's on welfare. You know what I mean? So but they don't think they on it. They don't think they're on they it. don't think it's welfare. It's not welfare to them. Mm. It's the American way. It's my right. taxes. They really literally think that. And that's right, why you right. see where you get your support from, because I was going to say that when you said most of it is, you know, white people coming out on behalf of the tenants, <laughs> you know, and um, things of that nature. It's like because statistically Crazy. they're the highest percentage that's on welfare. You know, we just the face of it, but they're the highest percentage that's actually on it. You know, but we do disproportionately represent because to be 13 percent of the United States population, right. but huge. more than 50 percent of these these the bowels. That's right. a problem. Yes, sure. Like yeah. that's where it's a problem because we fifty one percent of this place, and and incomes I think are like eleven thousand a year. Like what? What? What is you doing? And that's right. disability. Most of that is that eight hundred dollars a month. So I mean, whatever love and support, can I live? You know, we're out here. Um, we just got. I will tell you guys, we just got. Um, Dr. Knowles, Beyonce Knowles, Beyonce Knowles, Dr. Matthew Knowles, Beyonce's dad, has signed on to the to the tour. And so he's going to be meeting with him next week. He's going to be doing a couple of events with us and whatever he can to. So I'll make sure that Ruthie gives you guys like when we have our first event with him, um, it'll be virtual. But he is signing on as a supporter of the tour. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, you know saying? Like somebody, we are actually in somebody a conference with, um, with Dr. Knowles in uh, about really? another week or so. I'm talking okay. about mental health. He's like one of the nice. panelists on there. So, yeah, yes. you know, um, yes, that's yes, a good yes. thing. that is, It shows you how small this world is in terms of people trying yeah. to help each other. You know, His people. Yeah, he said he's he, he down with it. They love it. So sometimes you only need, you know, one 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 fish before you get the other. And that's the thing that kind of, you know, when we interview a lot of people who do different things within the community, because that's just what we do here, kind of exchange information. And so when I see like programs such as this, and I think to myself, people, especially our people, are in positions like Dr. Knowles that have money. And we just spend it on foolishness and things that don't matter. But yet you have all these community programs and things that need funding, that need just something as simple as promotion. You know, if you know and you don't get that from anybody, like is nobody searching for it or, you know, like I ask, you know, you reach out to certain people, I'm quite sure. And um, I'm quite sure that just like a lot of people who are doing things on the grassroots level don't want their thing corrupted by. Different hands being in the pot, you know. Do you reach out to anybody and like your selection process of who's going to support this work, or you just like we grassroots and that's it? Be honest, it's just been so much just helping families one at a time. I'm just now, just now, and I mean like last month, just now. Like, what are we in? What is this? June, June. May, May. When we left for Texas, it was like, all right, Raquel, you got to level up and you got to build these relationships. And you got to do what I hate doing. I just don't want to talk about nonsense. It's like that kiki, ha, 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 ha. He, right. No. People are dying like every day. No. If it ain't about the business of moving families forward, I really don't. But I, but you got the kiki. It's like these, these fools are out here kikiing. 
one I'm thing like, I, oh, I got a kiki, <laughs> but I got to do it. You know, one so we thing, just now reaching out. One thing that I just found out recently, and I'm in, uh, you know, I think this is why a lot of even black businesses and businesses stay away from like these different programs and stuff like that now. Cause like somebody was just saying to me, like, you know, even with Black Lives Matter and stuff like that, like once an organization signs on and say that they're, you know, they want to support Black Lives Matter, they get a backlash on their business. Say a company, I'm just hypothetically speaking, say a company like Nike signs on and say, you know, they want to be a part of Black Lives Matter. Then you got people on the back end saying, you know, we're pro- protesting it now. We're not purchasing any items from them because of the fact of the Black Lives Matter. So that kind of speaks to what you were saying earlier in regards to, um, you know, why a lot of big companies don't support, you know, and then, and if they do support, I think they try to be like silent partners and stuff right. like that, you know, but it is what it is. I hope that changes I just hope that, I mean, I hope that changes, but I'm the one for it. Like, this is real. This is 20 years roots. You're not plucking this over. You're not, you're not, no, 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 no. We done been there through the fire already. I, I, you know, I got stories. Yeah. I, it, it, I got, a, it, it's, it's, I got stuff back here, but um, I don't know. I think my story, I think it's just so powerful right. that it's like, how can you not? And who else is doing this work? And so, you know, United Ways, Red Cross, you know, the big, the, the, the people that get the lion's share. It's like, well, what have they produced? Yeah. So i just rather do the work. We need a Can I Live gang in every state. You know what I mean? Yeah. Real. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah, you need, that truck. Yeah. you need that truck everywhere. You know, yeah. because you're seeing like just I mean, just yeah. roll up to the, the different hoods. And we do. Even it's with, devastating, though. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. It's devastating. It's devastating. It's I, 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 we went to what, Houston. If I if I if I we rolled up, we just came out and we just started talking. And I think that night I broke down in tears, just like I I, I because I just have not seen this level of just our kids being lost our kids are so lost they out here in these streets and the mamas is not there the mamas is in the house like high everybody we engaged was high drunk uh, everybody and, the, so and then the Ar- you know what i'm saying the arabs had all the corner stores high, three four dollars for a bag of chips Mama's out there with they little G-strings on, booties. It, the guys just like billing on each other. It was just like, I was like, I, it was just so overwhelming for me that I, I'm like, how do I, like, so I, you know, sometimes I retreat, I fall back because I'm like, I can't, how, I, I'm, and even though I got my partner, but I'm like, I can't do this by myself. Yes, you can. You built you built for this. Else you wouldn't be in the position that you're in. You're built for that it. Thing is overwhelming. But you shouldn't do it by yourself. Man. You shouldn't have to. And that, that's you the point. Hey, listen, man. I, if I can find a way to get down, let me know, man. Yeah, I wanna, we gonna, we gonna, we gonna okay. listen. Where are you guys from? Where are you guys at? We live, we live in, in Del- we live in Delaware. We live in Delaware. We live in Delaware. Yeah. 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 Stay there from Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> so you in Delaware? We're in Delaware. She's, okay. She's a hater because she's from Yonkers, man. You know. Yeah. I'm, I'm in New York. I'm in New York. Okay. Yeah. In it. Okay. Yeah. You sound like you you from New York. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we got any kind of strategies. Like, I'm gonna give you put my phone number in the chat, my email. Any kind of strategies. I know we come into Connecticut, um, New Haven. We gotta go where you know where the money, where they pay us because this right. thing is expensive. Right. And until we get Jay Z and everybody else. I will tell you, we in this documentary called The Race to Equality. Mm, 
and it has ice cube you know and it this is supposed to drop in like september and so i'm excited about that because we're in that like i'm the lead feature in there so i think that will raise our footprint a little bit awareness a little bit okay um but here's my cell number it just text me email me and i need listen pray yes even Uh, if it's just any kind of support because it is i can't even explain it yeah. It was such a pleasure meeting you, Raquel. I'm glad you came on Definitely. our show. Thank you, and Raquel, Thank you for having me. Thank you yeah, for even saying know. yes. Yeah, Let's please know that no matter what you do, you have a you have a house here on only one mic. You know to Amen. promote whatever you need, especially too when your documentary comes out. That needs to definitely be on the Absolutely. forefront of some things and anything like you know we can Amen. help to promote social media, anything like that. Just. You know, email the information. I will definitely make sure we that. connect up and just share. Because yes, that's another please. thing. I'm trash with the social media. I'm trying to get it together. Yeah. But I need to, like, push this stuff out there. And yeah. whatever we got to do, if we got to get just to embarrass ourselves on social media in order to. Yeah. Yeah. We got to, like, a little, what, what, what the kids <laughs> like, just the TikTok challenges. <laughs> that's what they call it these days. Is that what? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. You like the TikTok yeah, challenges? Like, you know, you throw some oranges on your head or something. I don't know yeah, what the kids are doing. Do, she'll do it. <laughs> And they that's just put you about. out there. Yeah, that's how you know they know they can't rep Brooklyn because a real Brooklyn person <laughs> wouldn't say nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? Crazy. <laughs> crazy. We do you know is... what's going on in New York right there? <laughs> I do. I live right near the Bronx. I'm right here. Near the Bronx, right. not in I'm the in Bronx. The okay. All right. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. If you in the Yonkers, so here's a plug just for everybody. Yeah. New York City housing. Everybody, you know, they're huge. They're the biggest housing authority in the United States. The whole public housing terrain is privatizing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, residents and these development, they can own a piece of that development deal. And that's the conversation that they're not wanting to share. Wow. So if you guys got to, you know, get on Can I Live? We got a um, product called Radar. Radar is the, is the foundation. If you look at the truck, the truck is powered by radar. It's the foundation of laying down the laws and, and making these rules applicable and executing the rights that residents have. Even low income, you even got to be in public housing. If you low income in the city, these dollars are, are geared towards you. Okay. So the fact that this is it's going to be the biggest heist we've ever seen. Public housing is up for grabs. It is privatizing and we are not at all. They're giving us a new stove. That's all the residents is getting the stoves. You know, and, yeah, we can, I, that's a whole part two to this yeah, particular conversation. So um, we got to set something up, Raquel, to have you come back and discuss this. Absolutely. For I would love all to right. do that. So yeah. before we get ready to wrap up, we want you to uh, please tell us how anybody out there can support the cause. Of course, you mentioned Can I Live, but please give us some more. Yeah, so definitely can I live that or go to our IG, at least subscribe. God knows. Just give us some numbers so we could, you know, look like we out here really, really in the streets doing this stuff. And then of course donate. Put your money where your heart is, everybody. And give whatever. Five dollars, whatever you can give. Right. Because we are our own solution and nobody is coming to save us. So you better get your boat and your raft and your oars and, and get to rowing. That is a true gotcha. fact. Gotcha. All right. And uh, the Only One Mike podcast can is available on all major platforms that you stream your podcast on. Also, check out our Only One Mike podcast YouTube channel to catch up on the past and current shows like this one. 
Please don't forget to rate the show and subscribe. Also, if you'd like to get in contact with the Only One Mike podcast, you can reach us via Instagram and Twitter at the Only One Mike P1, Facebook and LinkedIn at the Only One Mike Podcast, and also via email at the Only One Mike Zero Zero at gmail.com. RW Jones, thank you, sister, for joining us once again. We really appreciate you. And as always, we thank encourage you. you. Yes, yes. To speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, even the dull and the ignorant, because they, too, have their story to tell. So until next time, please keep in mind that we never had to run from the Ku Klux Klan and we shouldn't have to run from a black man. Peace. 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 peace.